Isaiah 54, and so far uh, we have looked at symbols in verses 1 through 2, especially of a sterile or a barren woman giving birth to miracle children, and that's what kingdom growth is all about in the New Covenant. Every new birth is a miracle. It's a new creation. There is nothing that is derived from the old Adam. It is 100% derived from Christ, who is the second Adam, making a new creation. We saw that in the New Covenant, the expectation should be that there are going to be a lot more children in the church than in the world. That's verse 1. So much so that verse 2 says the church needs to get busy in expanding the tent, adding fabric to the tent, adding rope and staking it down clearly in, in God and in His grace so that the additional growth can be handled. Now, we have responsibilities to anticipate new growth. Now, growth is never comfortable, whether it's individual growth or whether it's growth of the, uh, the church as a whole, but that should be our expectation every day. Lord, we want growth. Expand our borders was the prayer in the Old Testament. And that brings us up to verse 3 which deals with generational expansion, generational expansion. I want to read verses uh, 1 through 3, and then I'll comment. Sing, O barren, you who have not borne. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Now, the idea promised in verse 3 is that Christ will build his church so invincibly that it will grow in all directions until at some point in history your distant and maybe not even so distant, descendants will inherit the nations and they're going to cause the desolate places to be inhabited. And so it is a promise of fantastic generational growth of the kingdom in the New Testament. And as you look over the last 2,000 years, I don't think there could be any question about the fact there has been incredible growth from 120 disciples to multiplied millions in every country of the world. But one of the things I want to point out is you cannot take verse 3 out of context. There are conditions, and the church has not always grown. The only sections of the church that have grown have been the sections that have taken verse 2 seriously. In other words, they've made the sacrifices. They have engaged in the expansion of the kingdom themselves. And then verse 1, they've had the faith to claim and to confess this victory as a reality. That's verse 1. And I think confession of Scripture promises as an act of faith is so, so important. Now, unfortunately, it's been discredited to some degree because the uh, radical word of faith movement has uh, made confession something that we uh, do from our own uh, thinking. Like, uh, for example, one of the weird ones was where a guy was confessing, okay, I wanted a pink Cadillac and it's got to be a specific year but that's his own desires. Uh, that's a humanistic thing. But the Scripture says we are to confess God's Word. We don't have the power to bring anything into existence. Only God has the power to make happen the things that are not yet and make them uh, to be. And so it's not about our desires. It's about God's glory and the extension of uh, His kingdom that we are 
uh, to make uh, the, the, this confession. So when we come to the Lord's table, I would like us to confess God's victory and to not only say by faith, it will be so, but to rejoice that there is nothing Satan can do to stop uh, the advancement of the kingdom. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's what Christ has promised. The church of faith, that's verse 1, that is devoted to God's cause, that's verse 2, shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Okay, now that promise all by itself is, is a wonderful promise to go to the Lord's table in, but I want to draw four more implications from it. First of all, God's promise of expansion is not just corporate. It obviously involves the corporate, but we saw that when Paul was giving an exposition of this in Galatians, he applied it to Abraham as an individual. He applied it to our lives individually and said, you must walk by faith. You can't just be doing your ministry in your own strength. And so there's an individual application. We saw that Abraham, when he tried to fulfill God's promise in his own strength, what did he do? He produced Ishmael, and it was an absolute disaster. But when he sought to fulfill God's promise with the, uh, with, um, not Hagar, Sarah, thank you, uh, he produced Isaac. He was stepping out by faith into the realm of the impossible. He was doing what only God's power could do. Why? Because by faith, uh, he was living, uh, he was living that out. And so, um, Galatians, by the authority of Galatians, we can say this can be applied to our individual sanctification. When we pray, thy kingdom come, it has a corporate dimension, but it also has an individual dimension, ramification as well. We want God's kingdom to come. We want his will to be done more and more in our lives. Uh, we want the expansion of his grace week by week, and we are called in the scripture to keep pressing upward into the upward calling that we have in Christ Jesus. So God has guaranteed the expansion. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the first implication. Second, God's covenant never neglects our children. And I love the phrase there where it says, and your descendants will inherit. Your descendants will inherit. What's implied? What's implied is that your children and your descendants will be Christians. That's the kind of inheritance, the spiritual inheritance that he, is, that he is talking about. God's election tends to work through family lines, and our normal expectation should be that our children would expand beyond what we are able to do. Each generation builds on the last. It's not like uh, some non-covenantal communities that think uh, you got to start the process all over again, reinventing the wheel. Uh, you know, sometimes generations, two, three, four generations can be broken off. Now, that can happen when verses one and two are not in place, but we need to say, no, your descendants will inherit the nations. That is covenant succession, and I'm convinced that generation after generation, we're going to see God's grace... Um, lived out uh, from this church if we keep verse 1, the conditions in verse 1 and verse 2 uh, in mind. Now, if you fulfill those two conditions and you have lots of kids, well, you're automatically going to be expanding the kingdom, aren't you? Um, that's something you can come to the Lord's table with, with rejoicing as well as commitment. We commit ourselves to raising our children in the covenant, 
And God promises to expand this covenant grace from generation to generation. So don't get discouraged if you're a first-generation Christian. doesn't matter. You're, you're expanding the kingdom just by having children and raising them in the fear and nurture of the Lord. Be encouraged uh, by that second implication. Third, this inheritance isn't simply heaven, as wonderful as that is. It isn't simply individual blessings, as wonderful as that is. It is corporate inheritance of things on earth. He says your descendants will inherit what? The nations. That's a promise that the Great Commission is going to be fulfilled. It will not be a failure. Uh, all nations will be discipled. All nations will become Christian. When we come to the Lord's table, I think we need to come not just individualistically, but we need to come claiming God's corporate uh, victory as well. And we need to be committing ourselves to saying, Lord, I want to be whatever part I can be in placing all things in this world under the feet of King Jesus. Family by family, business by business, we're about the business of taking over America, taking over uh, the nations for King Jesus. And part of that assumes we're going to have babies, and part of it assumes we're going to be engaged in evangelism, but there must be expansion. So while the humanists are depopulating themselves all across this globe, Christians are having babies, and like the, the Egyptians complained, the Israelites are outnumbering the Egyptians. Uh, the Israelites are outnumbering the Egyptians we could apply to today. The Christians are outnumbering uh, the humanists. Humanists, for the most part, there's a few exceptions, they don't want to have babies. So the only way they can expand is by convincing Christians to send their children to the government schools so that they can disciple our children into humanism. It's the only way they can, they can expand. So this is very, very encouraging to me. As you come to the Lord's table, commit yourself to the responsibilities you have to your children and receive God's promise that he will do with your children what you're not able to do. Uh, again, it's, a, it's the realm of the supernatural we're praying into our families' lives. Last, we must commit ourselves in the new covenant to not only tearing down what is poisonous and what is bad, but also rebuilding. And, of course, that was part of Jeremiah's um, commission, to build down, to tear down, I mean, to tear down and then to build up. And I want you to look at the, the last um, phrase there in verse 3. It says, and make the desolate cities inhabited. That's talking about building a new civilization on the ruins of humanistic failure. Building a new civilization on the ruins of humanistic failure. We must turn desolations around. Now, for me, that means we've got to, in some way, be involved in the cities. If that's our commission, is to rebuild the desolate cities, cities are not something that we give to the devil. Oh, that's bad. The devil can have it. No, we need to be taking over the cities as well, which means we cannot be backing away and having a uh, ghetto mentality where we're going to hunker down and just let the cities go to hell, uh, an escapist mentality. Christ sent us to disciple the cities, to disciple the nations, and until those nations are discipled and the desolations are turned into something worth possessing, Christ is not coming back. So every time we take the Lord's Supper and we hear the phrase, till he comes, we need to keep in mind that the application of his death and his resurrection power to society needs to keep going forward or his second coming is delayed. Now, nobody knows the time of his second coming because no one knows uh, when God considers dominion sufficiently accomplished 
where God can say, hey, the nations are discipled, desolate places are inhabited. Now, I take 2 Peter 3 very seriously when it says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Now, from one perspective, since God has foreordained the day that he, Christ is coming back, you can't hasten it from one perspective. But if those words mean anything at all, it means there is some connection between when Christ is coming back and the efforts that we are putting into fulfilling the Great Commission. There has to be a connection there. Otherwise, it's not hastening of the day of, of God. <clears throat> and so that, in essence, is what verses 1 through 3 is saying. Don't give up on God's methods and on God's goals in America. So this morning, uh, come to the Lord's table with a little bit bigger picture than just yourself, bigger picture than just your own generation. Uh, have a determination to be a part of the conquest of Canaan. And when you're willing to embrace what's involved in all three verses that we have looked at so far, you can say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labors for your children are not in vain. Lord's Supper guarantees it. Isaiah 54, verse 3, guarantees it. Your labors for the city are not in vain. Your labors for the nation are not in vain. And so I hope that this um, verse gives you a new appreciation for the glory and the comprehensiveness of the new covenant, of which this meal uh, is a seal. Thank you, Lord. Father, we do glory in your promises and in your power. And Father, in the potential that is in each one of the people here, if by faith they will step out and begin to do the things that your word uh, promises can be done. Uh, may we follow the second Joshua into the conquest of Canaan. And Father, I pray for a victory that would redound to your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.